Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And good morning, Birds fans. Day two of week two. We are on Birds 365. And, man, we got a good two hours planned for you because... A little bit of a bombshell broke yesterday here in the city of Brotherly Shove as far as media attention on your homestanding birds. And the picture was not pretty. We'll give you details over the next two hours. We are your Mac and Mac guys here on Birds 365. I'm Jody McDonald along with my partner, my well-lidded partner. I don't know about that. As in the uh, headwear he's adorning today. Well-lidded. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll agree with that. Well, you know, we're going to say some bad things about the Philadelphia Eagles, Jody. So I figured why not give the people a little optimism first? You know, thinking about Super Bowl 52, thinking about the height of this organization. And now you can argue we're we're at the depths. And it's only been a little over three calendar years. How did we get here, Jody? That's a main topic of that conversation today here on Birds 365. Uh, It's Chase, you weren't here with us yesterday. Uh, we punched out a solid two hours for you. And right at the end of the show, last 10 minutes of us being on the air streaming yesterday, John noticed that a new article had dropped on The Athletic from their very talented trio of reporters that combined on a rather scathing piece about the dysfunction of the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, you got a peek at it, John. I hadn't noticed that it had been put up just yet. I read it shortly after I got off the air yesterday. Not good uh, that the Eagles, for all the issues that they may have had in the clubhouse last year with Carson Wentz, who, of course, is no longer here, going to be doing his work for the Indianapolis Colts this year. Oh, the front office is just as bad, if not worse, when it comes to disagreement and dysfunction. Uh, the guys from the Athletic got some pretty good when I say good, I mean in-depth analysis on the Eagles front office when you're discussing where it goes for the future. That would be the exact opposite. Not good. Uh, the Eagles are putting things together right now that they have to try and get fixed. Otherwise, this team is not going to be able to turn around 4-11-1. No, they're not. And I think it starts right at the top of the organization. You know, so much was in that deep dive. And I give credit to Shield Capadia and Bo Wolf and Zach Berman. Zach was on the show last week. Shield will be on at 820 uh, this morning to discuss the piece. Um, and it all starts with Jeffrey Lurie. I mean, there's a lot of ancillary stuff. Um But the fact is that the owner of this team is sticking his nose where it doesn't belong. And when I say that... You know, I think there's the obvious stipulation, Jody, where you say, okay, it's his team. He can do whatever he wants. I agree with that. But you also got to be real. You know, if you're worth $3 billion, you generally get there by having a little bit of smarts. And the old adage, you know, know know what you don't know. And for whatever reason, you know, I've argued that Chip Kelly is broken, Jeffrey Lurie. Um, For whatever reason, he has gotten into the scouting portion 
uh, of this organization. He is he is delving into the assistant position coaches. Think about that, Jody. I mean, it's one thing to be involved with the head coach and, and the quarterback. Those are organizational decisions. The owner should be involved in that. This guy's delving into, should you draft J.J. Ortega-Whiteside? Should you fire Carson Walsh, the wide receivers coach? What what expertise does he have to be making those decisions? That's my question to you. No, I, I can answer it for you, and I'm going to play a little devil's advocate here because mostly I agree with you, owner overstepping a little bit. If the owner is going to be the guy who's going to hire the head coach, well, that's more important than any positional coach. I guess you're suggesting there's so you're getting into the minutia when you start talking about positional coach. Yeah, I believe that Jeff Laurie believes he knows the under he knows the minutia, he understands the minutia, and should be the one making the decisions on the minutia. Uh, yes, I think that over the course of time, I think he hit the ground running as a hands-on owner, but I think it has only grown over the course of time that Jeff Laurie is really involved the only way you can come up with a understanding of how involved he is is to try and compare him to the other owners and as good as you are what you do i've got some pretty good sources myself not as good as yours but i don't know that there are too many other owners that are as hands-on as jeffrey lore yes uh, jerry jones in dallas and he's a guy we reference often because they are our number one rival and are talked about a lot in this town but there are very few owners that are as hands-on as Jeff Laurie, and I don't know that that's a good thing at all. No, I, I agree. I, I, I mean, if you look at Jeffrey Laurie, he has basically become Jerry Jones with the volume turned up, whereas the only difference to me is Jerry craves media attention. Jerry has his own radio show during the season. Jerry wants to do – uh, you know, these big press conferences and he wants to be involved and he wants to be heard where Jeffrey Lurie wants to be the wizard behind the screen. He doesn't want to talk. Um, he doesn't want to explain his decisions. In a lot of ways, I think that's even worse. At least Jerry holds himself accountable. Now, he might get angry if he doesn't like the question being asked, as he normally does. Yeah, I compare Jeffrey Lurie to Shad Khan in Jacksonville and think about where Jacksonville is because they have the number one pick in the draft for a reason. And they were in the AFC championship game the same year the Eagles won the Super Bowl. So it's not like they've been bad for the, their reputation is bad, but they had a big spike, Jody, and they were a good football team. And all of a sudden, the floor falls out underneath them. And Shaq Khan's involved in personnel. Well, you know, that explains a lot. Uh I, I think it's ironic that I've been covering this league for a little bit over 25 years. So basically, my tenure covering this league almost mirrors Jeffrey Lurie's tenure as an owner. But I got to tell you, Jody, I don't have the hubris to say at this point, I know more about personnel than Andy Weidel. I don't have that because I don't. Different God, yeah, can Jeffrey, can Jeffrey look in the mirror and say the same thing? I don't think so. Maybe that's that $3 billion that gives him that confidence. But, you again, you got to know what you don't know. And Jeffrey Lurie doesn't seem to understand that right now. 
and even more so than the value of the franchise and what Mr. Lurie is worth these days, when they won the Super Bowl. And Jeff Lurie should know for himself how much he contributed to that as far as decision-making goes. Yes, the fact that he put people in place and made hires in certain areas and guys did great jobs and that helped deliver the Lombardi Trophy. But Jeff Lurie knows how much he was involved. He probably decided, hey, this worked. I did X. I'm going to do X plus going forward because it worked as well as it did. If I do more, it can only get better. Well, we know by now that it has gotten worse over these last couple of years. And we'll see if Jeff Laurie uh, actually stops and smells the coffee and says, wait a minute, this is going backwards. Maybe I need to come off up off the throttle a little bit. I'm not sure we're there yet but it may be the way that it shakes out. Now, you mentioned that Chil Kapadia, one of the three co-authors of this piece on the athletic essay, is going to join us coming up here in about uh, 10 minutes or so. You read the whole thing. I read the whole thing. What bothered you more than anything else? Not what scared you, because I think you're right. You started with Jeff Laurie, and that's pretty <laughs> scary. But there was something specific in there that bothered me. Was there something above and beyond Jeff Laurie's growing attention to detail and making decisions about everything in the organization, little and small. Was there something in there that got your goat a little bit? Uh, my biggest concern was the power of Alec Hallaby, who was sort of the analytics guy, the director of, uh, I think his uh, title's vice president of operations and football strategy. And, you know, one thing I just talked about accountability with Jerry Jones. One thing uh, with concern about this organization is the lack of accountability. The guys with real power. And I I said this during Nick Sirianni's first press conference when he got, you know, lambasted for not answering questions because he didn't have the answers to the questions. And I said, get used to it at that time, Jody, because that's what this organization does. The real power brokers send you out there and say, cover for us. And the real power brokers seem to me to be Jeffrey Lurie, Howie Roseman, and Alec Hallaby. And I don't think the average fan even knows who the heck Alec Hallaby is. So that, to me, I don't know what you found most alarming, but that, to me, is the most alarming part. That's pretty damn alarming. I had heard his name before. To find out, at least as per this article, and we might get some more details out of Shield when we punch him up, how important an individual he is and how much power and sway he does actually have in the organization is a little on the scary side. No, when I said annoying, here's what I meant by it. Tell me if you're on the same page with me or not. The detail of how much interplay there was on a weekly basis between Howie Roseman, wow. Doug Peterson, and Jeffrey Laurie, that even after winning the Super Bowl, Bringing the Super Bowl trophy home to Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Eagles still required Doug Peterson to go into a Tuesday morning meeting and basically explain himself to the coach, to the owner and general manager. Now, employees meet with their bosses all the time. Once a week might seem a little bit much, but I'm sure there are a lot of uh, businesses that do that. Again, and maybe we'll try and get more details from Shield when he comes on with us. It sounded to me, and you did had to do a little reading between the lines, that it was a weekly inquisition that Doug was held up mm -hmm. uh, and at gunpoint and said, please explain yourself. 
and second guessed and micromanaged to a guy who'd won a Super Bowl. Really? You're going to hold him to that kind of standard? When Doug Peterson was let go at the end of last year, I was perfectly fine with it. I thought he did a lousy job last year. A lot of things went wrong with the Eagles at 4-11-1, and, and Doug Peterson was certainly one of them. I didn't have a problem with them moving on from him. I had a problem that they fired him and kept Harry Roseman. But the fact that Doug lost his job, I didn't stand and scream from the yard arms that this is just flat out wrong and it couldn't be done that way. No, I was okay with the decision to go in another direction. Under the terms that he had to do the coaching, I actually now feel better for it. I feel relieved for Doug Peterson that maybe he got a break that he deserved to get to not have to live under the scrutiny he was living under. Yeah. Uh, well, two things, Jody. I already knew those meetings took place. So maybe that's why I, you know, not to the degree uh, of the Inquisition, uh, but I knew, and Doug has admitted, and Jeffrey has admitted, and Howie have admitted that they had those meetings every week prior to this piece coming out. So that part wasn't a surprise to me. The part that he's winning football games and getting Inquisition because he ignored the analytics reports. That was new to me, and that's why I went more in the direction of Alec Hallaby. But, you know, if you're talking about uh, alarming, I forget the, the word you use, but if you're talking about what, for me, um, it just popped into my head. If you go back to 2017, so the Super Bowl season, and I've reported this, Rob Motti's reported this, um, the Eagles wanted to fire Frank Wright. And, and elevate John DiFilippo to be the offensive coordinator. Uh, Doug stepped in and, and sort of massaged the kind of won that battle. And the rest is history. Now, also, this team was doing their due diligence about elevating Jim Swartz in case they were going to have to fire Doug Peterson early in the season. My point here, Jody, is this team had no idea that they were about to, this organization had no idea they were about to go on a Super Bowl run. Now, either did I, but I thought they had an opportunity to make a playoff run. Right. I thought, hey, if Carson Wentz takes that next step, this this team has a chance to be a playoff team. And they had no idea. And then afterwards, they go on the run. They win the Super Bowl. And somehow the same guy, Jeffrey Lurie, who had no idea how good this team could be, thinks he's responsible more so than the guy who coached them to a Super Bowl championship. Is there any other way to take that? Uh, not, not other than what the hell. That's my response to the way that uh, this article paints the directions this organization has come and unfortunately still may be headed. All right, one more quickie, then we got to get a timeout. Kachil Kapadia, one of the authors of this piece, is going to join us. Um, the National is, uh, the, the Athletic is, as it's described. The National. Good, good, good callback for the uh, National. That was great, the National. It's been a couple of years. I was yes. a, uh, yes, the, when we bought, actually bought newspapers yes. and held them in our hand. Um, the Athletic is a national publication, and is read by absolutely everybody. So not just Delaware Valley Eagle fans, Eagle fans everywhere, National Football League fans everywhere saw what uh, the organization is being run like these days. Do you believe it actually helps Doug Peterson in potentially landing a job 
Nick here got let go, was late to the party for jobs that were available this year, never really got involved, never really got close. And I wrote it off to, well, that's because teams had already started their interview process and were looking in a specific direction. And Doug just kind of got squeezed out. Help him for next year that, man, the way he had to get through this in Philadelphia, it was a, if he was able to do that and win the Super Bowl, this is a guy I got to be talking to when jobs open up next year. Yeah, I still think timing is a bigger part of it, just getting away from a bad season, a bad situation. I always thought Doug would be in a good position because the Lombardi trophy carries a lot of weight around this league, evidently, except in Philadelphia. So (laughs) I do think he will be on the top of a few lists next season. And I do think this helps because it does explain a little bit, at least, the downfall and the quick regression from being that Super Bowl team. And I was a Doug Peterson fan when he was here. When he was hired, I took a I'll give it a chance uh, position. Wasn't to get strong for it. Wasn't strong against it. I said, all right, let's take a look. Kind of where I am with Nick Sirianni right now going forward. Those that have already said, I can't even talk at a press conference. Who cares? Those who uh, know that he's going to be a great coach. I haven't seen it. You go into these things with the open mind and you find out where they go. Where Doug Peterson went was to a Super Bowl within a couple of years and got us the parade that we wanted here in town. So for that, Doug will always be a hero in this town. And, yeah, I'm a little more excited for him about getting another job because people now may understand and or cut him some slack for the very bad 4-11-1 and and season that he goes out on here in Philadelphia. All right, we'll take our first time out here on week two, day two of our excursion called Birds 365. John McMullen, Jody McDonald, we will be joined by Shield Kapadia of The Athletic next here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. The, the, the middle. <laughs> we need a little maze. Wait, wait, yeah. what was the commercial? Yeah, Harry goes, I don't need a little anything. You'd have Lil Harry or Lil Maze. Lil Maze. And, and you pull a <laughs> string and it yeah. says, I am out. Or sort of like four or five different maze sayings. Now that's an idea. Did you see a Shander doll? It oh, never yeah. stops talking. No, oh, you don't even God. need to pull the string. The Middle with Aton Shander, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Mays. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. 
and I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history. Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. Rocking it for you on uh, this morning on Birds 365. Yes, Mac High, Chad McMullen, Jody McDonald. Oh, but we got another NFL insider to join us. Eagles Nation kind of rocked yesterday with a scathing expose by the triumvirate of Eagle reporters for the athletic, uh, Bo Wolf, Zach Berman, and Shield Kapadia. Kind of let Eagle Nation know that there's trouble afoot uh, down in Eagle Land. And Sheila Kapadia of The Athletic, good enough to join us. Uh, good morning, Sheila. How are you, buddy? Good morning. You know, someone suggested that at the end of that article, we should have had some kind of ad for therapy or something for uh, <laughs> Eagles fans, because I think that that was a, uh, a prevailing theme. But uh, obviously, we can't control that, right? Sheila, as I just mentioned, uh, was a uh, combined effort, collaborative effort, to use a word the Eagles like to use, uh, between yourself and Bo and uh, Mr. Berman. Tell us how something like that works. How do you guys decide, all right, this is going to be such a big story. We all need to put in a little of what we know and combine and do something like that. Have you ever worked on a piece of this magnitude like that before? I have not, no. And really it was just, you know, after the season, they fired Doug Peterson, Carson Wentz gets traded, and then you kind of take a step back. You know, we were all in, in Minneapolis for that Super Bowl three years ago. And so it's like, all right, three years ago, this team was hoisting the Lombardi Trophy uh, at the parade. You really felt a sense of optimism. They've got their coach. They've got their quarterback. Howie Roseman put together this roster. This team's going to be in the mix for the next five to seven years. And then you take a step back and say, wait a minute, the, the coach is gone. The quarterback's gone. The GM is by the owner's side. The roster's in bad shape. It's a whole nother rebuild. What happened here? I mean, that was really the only question. And so we just said, hey, we all have different relationships. We all have different sources. Let's get in touch with everyone we can. And let's try to paint a fair picture of what people think actually did happen and why they are where they are right now. So that was just kind of a two-month process of making those calls having those conversations, one thing leads to another. And then, um, you know, you, you kind of, some themes really uh, surface there. And that that's what's shown in the article. Hey, Sheil, you know, you mentioned the therapy aspect of it. That's why I put on the Super Bowl 52 hat. <laughs> I wanted to give Eagles fans a little remembrance of the good yeah. times. But, you know, I think the biggest part I'm hearing from fans, and I'd like to, you know, the feedback was the weekly meetings, which we knew were going on. Everybody, right. Doug admitted it, Jeffrey admitted it. Well, you guys kind of deep dive into what was essentially an inquisition. And I think, you know, based on the beliefs of the analytics department led by Alec Hallaby, that was the most concerning part for me for two reasons. One, accountability. I don't think most fans even know who Alec Hallaby is. Right. And two, you know, why are you doing this with a, with a Super Bowl winning head coach? Um is was was that your biggest takeaway from this and as far as 
wow, what's going on here? It, it was one of them. And with so many of these things, context is important, right? So other own, you know, people have told us other yeah. owners have these meetings with their head coaches during the week. So that was part of it. And, and we know Jeffrey Lurie is not a confrontational person, right? I think mm -hmm. anybody who knows him, anybody who's watched him, he's not in there berating uh, Doug Peterson's, you know, throwing papers around saying, why didn't you do this and this? However, uh, it adds up. And, and so the point, the big point out of those meetings, which happened on Tuesdays with Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman, and again, it's a direct report uh, meeting there where you're explaining things to the owner, is not necessarily what happened in the meeting, it's how Doug Peterson felt after the meetings. But, you know, sources close to him who, who just said I mean he was worn down you know he feels like he goes on the road and beats the Green Bay Packers a team that has you know three losses the entire season the offense puts up 30 plus points he's feeling good we had a great game plan they were playing a lot of nickel we ran the ball with 12 personnel everything worked out well and then in that meeting, he's getting asked, why didn't, why didn't we throw the football more? Why didn't we pass the football more there? And so you can see how it would add up. You know, someone with a lot of experience in the NFL made the point to me that head coaches by their nature think everyone's always second guessing them, right? John, we're asking them questions yes. every week. Uh, people in the building, they don't know who's on their side. They, they're getting ripped everywhere. And so that adds up. And so that definitely was a feeling that Doug communicated to people. I mean, people who spoke on and off the record mentioned that Packers game over and over again. So I don't know if Doug mentioned that to the whole group or what, but that was something that stuck in people's heads that, man, even after a big win, we're still getting that. So that, that was a big takeaway. The way you lay it out, Keel, I got to give Peterson, 2020 hindsight, some pretty <laughs> good credit because – I didn't see it. Now, you guys are there every single week and asking him questions where I'm watching from afar. But he seemed pretty calm, cool, and collected in his media gatherings on the sideline. Didn't seem like he let his angst show if that was the case. Now, he may have bottled it up, and it may have affected his play calling. And I'll ask you if you believe that's the case. But he didn't show it outwardly. Do you think inwardly it did actually affect his coaching? I mean, I, I think it did a little, but, uh, you know, it, the fact is that not everybody was telling us this. So he wasn't like venting to, you know, everybody in the building every day that, gosh, this is a terrible situation and I can't uh, deal with it. So I do think he, after that first year, he got a good sense of, wow, okay, so this is what the head coaching job in Philadelphia entails. This is how I have to approach it. It's a little bit different than maybe I expected. Now, whether it affected his coaching, you know, I don't think so to a huge degree. I think he knew that if he wins games and uh, does what he thinks right is right with the help of his coaching staff, that all that other stuff, you know, he can deal with it. He can answer the questions. But if he's winning, nothing's going to happen to him. That is the ultimate job security for an NFL head coach. I mean, owners, GMs, they'll look the other way on almost anything if you're winning games. And so I think that's how he approached it. I didn't see a huge change in how he approached things um, given those meetings. Shale, you mentioned something interesting there by saying this is what the Philadelphia Eagles job is. And I think Nick Sirianni should be paying attention to this because this is yeah. what his job is going to be. It wasn't always that way, though. Yeah. yeah so no, where, where is the change and why was the change? That's a great question. Yeah, that's a great question, John, and one that we asked people, you know, during the sort of first whatever, uh, 14, 15, uh, however many years it was with Andy Reid, it was not this way. There were, you know, the Eagles will say, well, a lot of owners have meetings with coaches. This isn't a big deal. But the fact is your owner did not have that 
Tuesday meeting with the head coach for 14 years. And so something obviously changed. Now, uh, there were some theories that maybe the Chip Kelly era really affected them. You know, that Jeffrey Lurie looked at that and said, wow, for that era, uh, my influence was not heard of, was taken away. It was fully a head coaching operation after that first year where the head coach had full control of it. I think that could have certainly uh, had an impact on how they do things. And then others had the theory that you look at the Super Bowl. You know, when you win a Super Bowl, there's that old Pat Riley, uh, the disease of me or the disease of more thing, right? Where everyone says, well, I'm the reason we won. I want X, Y, and Z. Now, usually that applies to players. However, mm -hmm. someone made the case that does that apply to Jeffrey Lurie? Does that apply to Howie Roseman where they say, look at what we did, you know, uh, look at how we built this roster. Look at the decisions we made that led to us winning a Super Bowl. We are emboldened to do that going forward. We have the answers for how to build this. It wasn't the other stuff. And, you know, part of that is probably natural, the natural dynamics of winning a Super Bowl. But that certainly could be a part of it as well. Heal, uh, after reading your phenomenal piece on the athletic essay, Alec Holliday became a person of interest, <laughs> to use a special policing term, uh, that I didn't know deserved the kind of attention that he did. I knew the Eagles were an analytical organization. How much, to what level, I did not know. And you guys did a very good job of painting that picture. How does emotional <laughs> intelligence come out through analytics? I, I'm having a tough time putting that together and coming up with a... Uh, this is what Jeff Laurie wants type of answer. Do those two things go hand in hand or they fly in the face of each other? Well, I, I think they need to work together in coordination to have an effective organization. And I think this is a, a key point, Jody, because people said to us, there are a lot of smart people in that building. You know, people said <laughs> like, it's not a talent issue where they have the wrong people there. And, and with analytics, I'm pro analytics. I, I think it could really help you. But the fact of the matter is, and this isn't just the Eagles. This isn't just the NFL. This is throughout professional sports. It's not just having the data. It's not just being able to analyze it. It's being able to communicate it to everyone else in the building who might not be as well versed on it as you are. And that to me, you know, to be quite frank, is a failure of Howie Roseman when you look at his role in the organization. You know, his role is to be that CEO. He's in charge of making all these different departments collaborate, analytics, coaching, scouting, Jeffrey Lurie. He's got to take all that information, put it together and say, all right, here are the decisions we're making and why. And I don't think that's been the case there. You know, when, when I think if you ask members of the coaching staff, they would say they felt like the analytics department was a deterrent for them doing the job they need to do. And that shouldn't be the case. They should have a sense that, all right, analytics are trying to help us make better informed decisions. That wasn't the case when you talk to people in the scouting and personnel department. Same thing. They don't feel like it's working hand in hand. They feel like they work to put together a draft board. They see a pick made and they think, all right, that was influenced by you know the analytics department or the owner. And there's no transparency. There's no explanation at the end of it where Howie Roseman's saying, hey, here's how we made this decision. Guys, I understand you weren't on board with it. Here's why we did it. Um, that type of thing. And this isn't like, low-level scouts. I mean, these are key members of the organization who see these picks being made and are saying, all right, that's not what I thought we were going to do. So, um, you know, that, that's a long answer to your question, but I do think that's a key. So much of this is just relationship-based. You know, if, if the coaching staff feels like the GM's in their corner and the analytics staff is in their corner and vice versa, then you can have those conversations. That's how it's supposed to work. That's not how it has worked with this organization. 
Yeah, and I'm glad we have Shiel here because I think you're one of the best national guys as far as, uh, you know, working advanced statistics into your work and, and sort of informing people about how the modern NFL runs. But we use that word again, Shiel, transparency. Yeah. Um, that That is my biggest issue. Now, outside the building, I think it's pretty obvious. But inside the building, if Andy Weidel – doesn't know what's going on. And I'm not saying it was Andy Weidel. I'm not saying it was somebody that high level or just a scout. You know, why this disconnect has been going on for a long time. Football guys versus non-football guys. You can go back to Howie Roseman, Chip Kelly and and Tom Gamble, Howie Roseman, football guy versus non-football guy. Now it seems to be Howie and Alec Hallaby versus the scouting staff. Does this end? Where's the bridge? Where Where is this? It's not West Side Story. I joked on Twitter. <laughs> They're always against each other. Yeah, it, it's a, and we'll see how the Eagles react to this. I mean, my sense is this is not going to lead to any uh, dramatic change. You know, what you said, John, is true. This has been ha- going on for a long time. And, I, and I'm not someone who thinks, like you said, I'm not someone who thinks the non-football guys should be pushed out of the building. I mean, I, I think there are, uh, I, I think in the big picture, we they are smart to have this a setup where collaboration is encouraged and that you're taking input from all the different departments, but it's not working right now. It's a, it's a matter of the different factions really competing against one another. That has been the culture in the building where they're competing for influence with the final decision makers. And that's not how uh, it's supposed to work. And so we'll see how it works with Nick Sirianni. You know, again, I think context is important. It's not like the Eagles have been this, you know, huge dumpster fire for the last five Mm. years. They won a Super Bowl. They got to the playoffs three times. You know, I would describe them as kind of a middle of the pack organization right now. Uh, Certainly during Jeffrey Lurie's tenure, they've been better than that. You know, when you look at kind of their winning percentage, playoff appearances, those things. But at the same time, you have to look at the issues and specifically the relationships in the building and say, hey, if we're starting with a new head coach and a new coaching staff, how can we alleviate some of the issues that we had uh, during the last five years? Shield, thank you very much. Not just for the outstanding article you guys did, but for leading me to my next question. You took me right where I was planning on going. If you're Nick Sirianni today, you're wet behind the ears, first time, first season head coach, who's probably glad that he got the chance to jump into the big chair as quickly as he did. You read this article and you go, what have I bought into here? How does Nick Sirianni go about his business today, tomorrow, next week, leading up to the draft, leading up to the season? Well, I, I did get a, a text from a uh, source who we talked to for this story who had kind of a similar sentiment, but actually thought that uh, this would be good for you know Nick Sirianni to read as he begins his tenure. You know, it, it's, uh, it's kind of a glimpse that the source thought he will know a little bit about what's worked there, what hasn't worked there, what the setup is like. So uh, I don't know. I haven't spoken to Nick Sirianni. So uh, I would imagine that it, it, you know, it came across his eyeballs. I would imagine that internally there was a little bit of damage control that, you know, this is not, you know, that there was uh, some discrediting of what was in the story. But, uh, you know, I I would think it would help him in in the back of his mind to not be um, surprised by some of this stuff and know how it works. Uh, we're talking with Shio Kapadia from The Athletic and subscribe to The Athletic. I think you guys are, are having a sale right now in advance of the NFL draft. So you can read Shio's work along with Bo Wolf and Zach Berman. Uh, their, uh, their podcast, Birds with Friends as well, is phenomenal. So 
so catch that. She'll, I want to circle back to 2017 because that was obviously the apex of the organization. You bring up the human nature part of when you have success, people are going to say, wow, I did a pretty good job. Um, and before you came on, Jody and I were talking about this is another flag for me. This is another alarm for me. Before the season, the Eagles wanted to fire Frank Reich and elevate John DiFilippo to be the offensive coordinator. A lot of context to that, the Jets, Jets wanted to uh, um, elevate John and hire him as offensive coordinator. So they, they wanted to do some things. They were also doing their due diligence, as you said in their report, in case they would hire Doug Peterson, have to fire Doug Peterson early in the season. So how do you go from having no clue that this team was a, even a potential playoff contender which I don't think any of us thought it was going to be a Super Bowl contender. But I said, hey, if Carson Wentz takes that next step, maybe they make the playoffs. You have no idea that's about to come. Then you go on the run, and essentially you say, I'm responsible for the run. Yeah. Is there any <laughs> other way to take that? No, I, I think you're right. And yeah, you know, 2017, that August, I came back from Seattle to to cover the Eagles again. And I, exactly what you know what i'm just making introductions and reaching out to people i mean there was no sense that that team was going to win the super bowl and that's not just externally that's internally and i think it's funny we talk so much about windows and is the window open or closed and the fact the, the point that i always make is that the, the teams themselves don't know when the window is open mm. and closed a lot of times i mean sure if you have patrick mahomes and he's in his mid-20s yeah your window is open but barring something like that you really don't know and so they didn't know that at the time there were doubts about doug peterson uh, at the time with the Frank Reich thing, uh, you know, I did get some conflicting information, whether that was more a Howie Roseman wanted Frank Reich gone. You know, a couple of people said that was more, you know, Howie Roseman uh, maybe than Jeffrey Lurie. So I don't have a, a great answer for you there, but certainly that meeting, you know, opened my eyes a little bit. Now we don't have uh, exact details of what happened in that meeting, but there are reliable people in the building uh, who we trusted who said this really, you know, raised some, eye raised some eyebrows that I think it was the Friday leading up to their opener during a Super Bowl season that Jim Schwartz is meeting with Jeffrey Lurie for at least three hours. And so that caught people by surprise. It said, all right, we know Jeffrey likes talking to coordinators and assistants. We know Jim Schwartz can be a little bit chatty, but what's going on here? And there was a sense among key members of the organization that are they vetting internal candidates in the event that Doug Peterson gets off to a one and three start, an 0 and four start, that they're going to have to make a move here. And so uh, it, it is sort of fascinating looking back at that Super Bowl season when you look at how it started and how it ended. It's your last one for me. John put the Super Bowl hat on today to show a little optimism. I tried to come up with an optimistic slant on my show on WIP last night. Here's the best I could come up with. This offseason, the biggest move the Eagles have made was to trade Carson Wentz. And I believe it was the right move. It wasn't an easy move because they had to swallow the largest dead cap money in, in the history of the National Football League. But they did the right thing. They recognized that they had made a mistake by giving Carson Wentz $120 million plus. Rather than live with it, they reacted to it and took a very tough stance to move on. So I give them credit for that. 
Can we think that can happen with the dysfunction within this organization? They can realize that things are going awry and astray here. We need to correct it and we need to get back on course. If they did it with Carson Wentz, can you jump to the conclusion that they can also recognize it and do it in this situation? Is this legit half class, half full stuff? Or am I grasping at uh, optimistic straws? It's possible. I mean, I, I don't necessarily get the feeling that that will be the reaction internally uh, to this article, that it will lead to self-reflection and changes. I don't get that sense. Now, having said that, uh, again, they've had playoff runs. They, they they won a Super Bowl with sort of the setup that they had there. And so uh, it's not impossible. This isn't the worst franchise in the NFL. There are things that they do uh, correctly in terms of decision-making and that type of thing. So, um I don't, I don't, you know, to answer your question, I don't think this is going to lead to significant change. However, at the same time, I, you know, I don't think that they're going to be one of the worst organizations in football. So as you guys know, so much of this comes down to what's the answer at quarterback and can that be someone who just raises everyone else up? I mean, the fact of the matter is if Carson Wentz even is at a mediocre level last year, we're having a totally different conversation right now, right? He didn't have to be top five. If he was like the 14th best quarterback last year, Peterson's back. Wentz is back. We're not having these conversations about the culture. We're saying, all right, maybe they can make a run this year. And so I don't know that Jalen Hurts is the guy. You know, he's going to get a chance this season. I think really what they're doing is they, they'll say, all right, let's give Hurts a, a shot this year. We have capital to make a move after the season if it doesn't work out. And so I think we'll find out in the next two years what their plan is at quarterback, and then we'll kind of go from there. Hart. Great stuff. Yep. Yeah, we appreciate you coming on board with us. Okay. Please tell uh, Zach and Bo we send our regards as well. You guys combined on a phenomenal article that gave us plenty to talk about, plenty to think about. Thanks, brother. Appreciate the work. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having Thanks, me. Joe. Take care. All right. Joe Capadia from The Athletic here with us on Birds 365. We'll come back, break down some of what uh, Sheila had to say. Also, we got Brandon Lee Gowton coming up next hour when we'll start to get back into the draft. We'll certainly get Brandon's take on everything that was in the athletic article. But, yes, we need to start to refocus on the draft. We have had our attention pushed to the side a little bit, but uh, it is all moving forward with the Philadelphia Eagles. We'll help move it here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation. And we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The, the, the middle. The middle. So, I know we're going to get on that, but I, I, I got to say happy birthdays to the, to the kids in the stream. You know what I'm saying? We, we looking, we checking it out. Happy birthday to your, your kids, man. You know what I'm to saying? To who? The kids, man. I'm watching the stream, man. What stream? It's double birthdays. You got to keep your eyes yeah, off that stream. Yeah, man. seriously. <laughs> no, you have a conversation with the stream, and nobody has any idea what you're talking you gotta about. You got to give us That's a heads up. Get you hip to it. Because that gets you hip to it. No, no, no. We I have no idea what you're talking bro. about. So now we're in the middle of something, and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Happy right. birthday. Happy birthday yeah. to who? I have no idea what was, what's going on right now. I, I can just imagine people listening on Sports Map Radio, just like, what did he just say? Who's he talking to? Well, the action real. 
Play Action Real, his son Nick. Happy birthday, bro. And All right. Old. Now, now everybody's got a birthday. Joey B's daughter, uh, 16 today. Yeah. I mean, calling BS today. Seriously, this is like AC Green selling that he right. was a virgin back with Showtime. The Middle with Aton Shander, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Mays. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The future waits for no one, so we refuse to wait for it. We're not just pilots and engineers. We are pioneers. Today, battles are waged in nanoseconds. And planes are piloted from the other side of the world. We turn night into day and fly missions in space. The future is not coming. It's already here. This is the future. Join us and be the future. Jody Mack. The legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. It is the Mac and Mac guys, John McMullen, Jody McConnell, here with you on Bird Street 65. We appreciate your tuning in live with us, whether you got us via the Jacob Media YouTube channel and or punched us up on phillyvoice.com's link. We are glad to have you here. We'll keep the Eagles talk coming for you. A uh, bunch of things we got to get into, including thanking Chio Capadia, propping on with us after the expose that came out on yesterday's Athletic about issues, problems, uh, dysfunction in the Eagles front office. I also want to thank those on the stream here. You just heard the promo for the middle with uh, our buddy hmm. Dark Brooks uh, having as much fun with the stream as he does. Uh, we don't have quite the following, the large communal family that they have on their stream on the middle. They've been doing it for quite some time. You and I are pretty new to this game, but we're getting a – Fair number of people hopping on, commenting on the show. So we appreciate those on our stream as of right now. But I got a question for one of our stream guys, Fly Eagles Fly Temple U, um, who says, I completely disagree with you, Jody. Uh, Why? You can't just leave it. I disagree. Well, what? We've been on for about 45 minutes already today. <laughs> Which stance that I took over the course of those 45 minutes do you completely disagree with? you got to give me more details than that. Is there a limit as to how many characters they get on the stream before it drops over? I don't think he even made an effort. He just said, well, I disagree with Jody. Okay, that's cool. Uh, <laughs> about what? you got to give me a little bit more than that. we got a couple other people that are none too pleased with the job that Jeff Laurie and Howie Roseman doing right now. Uh, feel free to voice your opinion on the stream. If something grabs our attention, we will certainly acknowledge it and note it. But you also, if you're going to take shots at either me or Johnny Mac, you got to give us details of what you don't like about what we're saying. 
you can take shots at the Eagles. That's very uh, obvious today with the uh, article that was written uh, yesterday in The Athletic. Chio was good. He was measured with uh, what he had to say with us. But you could also read between the lines. You got to do that a little bit with the article. Got to do that when Shield hops on with us. He doesn't think that this is a problem that's going to get fixed anytime soon. I thought they did a good job of pointing it out. I don't know if the Eagles realize and or agree that they have issues in their front office right now, John. Well, they obviously don't. I, I mean, actions speak louder than words, and they fired the Super Bowl winning head coach. And I think, you know, there's so much. I wish we had more time with Shield, but he's obviously got to do a, a lot of stuff today in the wake of that story coming out. But there's so much we didn't get to. But I did want to try to hone down on those meetings a little bit, those Tuesday meetings, because uh, we knew they were going on, but it was interesting because it seemed like, you know, Doug and Shield brought up head coaches in general. Uh, they're very, you know, uh, obviously sensitive to criticism because they're always getting ripped. And a lot of guys coach to not get ripped. They're going to get ripped after the game with the media. They're going to get ripped uh, at the Monday press conference. You know, Doug Peterson is always hearing it from you got to run the football. You got to run the football. And then he runs the football against one of the best teams in the NFL successfully. And forget about the fans, Jody. He's going into his office Tuesday after a major upset. And he's getting it from Alec Hallaby and Jeffrey Lurie. Why are you not running? The, why are you not passing the football? It's like you can sense why the frustra frustration developed. I mean, but it, it, my management style, Jody, would be wait for the loss. Like if you have a problem, you know, put it in the pocket and wait for the loss. And that's when you bring it up. You know, a, a smart manager would say, okay, we, we just upset one of the best teams in football on the road. Let's let's enjoy this one. Let's not nitpick. And, am I wrong? No, I think you've got a pretty good read on it, and we're looking the gamut from the Super Bowl win into this four and eleven season. And I'm sure the meetings were relatively the same throughout, although the results with the Eagles were certainly varied. Unfortunately, trending in the wrong direction to the bottoming out this year. Oh, Jeff Lurie had plenty of time to run an inquisition on Doug Peterson this year with them losing as many games as they did and the way that they played. It gave me pause when Shiel was describing this, when I read the article about this was uh, as difficult for Doug and ate away at Doug the way that it did, that he did need to explain himself after every single game. I'm wondering this offseason, when they basically let it be known after the week 15 and uh, week 16 game going into the 16th game, week 17, <laughs> it looked like Doug Peterson was coming back. They do what they do in the final week. Yes, Nate Sudfeld, the unstoppable Nate Sudfeld hits the field and they lose that final game to the Washington football team to allow themselves the sixth pick in the draft. And then Jeff Florian and Doug have one more meeting and we're told that it was Sons Howie Roseman, unlike his usual weekly meetings with the general manager and the owner. This was just one-on-one -on -one with the owner that it did not go well. And we all heard Jeff Lloyd's explanation after the fact that they weren't on the same organizational page, that Doug was thinking more about immediately fixing things in 2021 to the chagrin of 
2022-23-24, and Jeffrey was looking at the mid- and long-term effects on the Eagles, and it just didn't seem like it was going to work with the coach. I'm sure that was all part of it and part of his thinking. But do you think maybe Doug took a hardline stance, probably about his assistant coaches, his entire yeah, staff, yeah. and said, no, I'll tell you what, here's what I need to have happen. And he actually took a, uh, a stance against Jeff Laurie, probably knowing full well, hey, this could get me fired, that he was actually okay with getting fired, that he got his Super Bowl trophy, he can get out of Dodge with the payment on his contract for the years he had left and still be able to go out and get another job if that's what he wants to. After reading this article and finding all the backstory of what was going on behind the scenes with the Eagles, I'm starting to now believe that maybe Doug Peterson had a pretty good hand in on helping decide that Doug Peterson was no longer going to be the coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, one of the things we weren't able to get into and I wanted to was the micro Carson Walsh situation uh, where Doug was forced to fire them. Remember the timing on that. Remember the context there, Jody. He originally said, no, they'll be back. I remember. And 20, yeah, 24 hours later was forced to fire him. Now, in, in Shield and Zach Berman and Bo Wolf's story, uh, they kind of explained that it, it went even a little bit further than that. It was an ultimatum type of situation uh, that Doug was going to be fired if Mike Rowe was brought back, if Carson Walsh was brought back. And I, I, I did ask about the 2017 season and their realization, uh, the fact that they didn't realize what was about to happen, yet had were very comfortable uh, accepting the spoils, so to speak, of what did happen. Take that the other way, Jody, and say, okay, look, we fired Mike Rowe. He wasn't the problem. Did the offense get better? Uh, not really. Oh. And and that's the guy the head coach wanted. So where's the self-awareness? Where is the realization again to say, mm, that didn't work. Maybe we should give the head coach what he wants this time. Instead, it was doubling down. No, we don't want Press Taylor. We don't want Matt Burr. You can't have what you want. Yes, Doug finally said, no, enough of this. And he was fired, but a lot of it was he walked away as well. You've mentioned this a couple times since we started up the show here uh, on Birds 365, the story about uh, the Eagles contemplating moving away from Frank Reich. More to be able to keep and protect John Filippo, but – uh, they, they were open-minded to potentially moving off. Frank Reich and Doug went to bat for him and defended him, and certainly it played out well with the 2017 championship. And, yes, Frank Reich immediately capitalizing and turning that into a head coaching position. However, there's been changes across this Eagle staff in key positions over the last several years. For me, Frank Reich is the only one who's gone somewhere else and actually kind of added to his ledger and uh, made it look like, wow, this guy really is a good coach or maybe a better coach than he showed here in Philadelphia. Frank's it. John Filippo, I think, has gone on from the bird's nest and struggled. If mm -hmm. anything, his reputation has taken a hit and gone backwards rather than gone forwards. Should we just say, yeah, damn, Frank Reich was that good? Or 
maybe Doug Peterson wasn't the best coach, uh, best uh, guy to decide on the level of competency of assistant coaches because the guys who did move on from here didn't exactly come back and stick it in the bird's eye. Yeah, I'm not, um, you know, I think so much of winning and losing deals with talent. So a lot of that has to do with position you're in and, and, and things of that nature. Um, which I certainly uh, agree with that point. But I know where you're going, Jody. To me, it doesn't even have to go that far. To me, it goes, okay, I have a Super Bowl winning coach. He deserves the autonomy to name the coaching staff that he wants. I believe that. Uh, That will never change. I've been very consistent on that. Uh, Not only Doug Peterson, uh, anywhere else. If you win, if Bruce Arian says, I want to fire my offensive coordinator, he's not going to do it not going to fire Byron Leopards. He's not going to fire uh, Todd Bowles. But if he wanted to, he should have that right He as a Super Bowl winning coach. Uh, Doug Peterson didn't have the autonomy to hire and fire his assistant coaches. It's bad enough with the offensive and defensive coordinators because, as I said, those are high-profile positions. Those are positions I can see the general manager and the, even the owner chiming in on. But when you start to go even deeper – and you start complaining about, you know, I, I don't know what. What do you – fundamentals work, mechanical work about sort of – that's like going into a garage, Jody, and looking over to the shoulder of the mechanic and saying, oh, no, the Johnson knot rod needs to <laughs> that, that, yeah, You don't know. You don't have that expertise, no. bottom line. If I did, I'd do it myself. And well, I not don't you, be- Jody. You it- do. I'm talking about Jeffrey Lurie. He doesn't have that expertise. Yeah, Floyd doesn't. I don't either. So yeah. uh, it wouldn't work for either one of us. Um, let me ask you this, because uh, we've talked about it, but I don't know that I've asked you this question directly the way I'm going to ask you now. Uh, the coaching staff that is now in place with the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, without having directly been able to question Nick Sirianni, why someone got hired, or Harry Rosen, why this person was hired for this position. We do our own conclusions with where the track records of the new guys were prior to coming in here. And there are a lot of ties to the head coach in some way or another, uh, maybe a tie to the defensive coordinator for the defensive positional coach or the offensive coordinator, uh, offensive coaches for the offensive guys. It looks like the top three guys, the head coach, the two coordinators, offense and defense, had major say and pull and gravitas on how this staff was put together. Basically the exact opposite of Super Bowl winning coach Doug Peterson previously. (laughs) Why do you think that was? Did they just say, hey, that caused issues behind the scenes? Other teams give the coaches, the head coaches, the chance. When we had Andy, we pretty much let, we saw how prepared Andy was to pick an entire staff and the success he had at it. Maybe we need to go back there. Why do you think the change? First of all, do you agree with me that there was a drastic change? I'm about 99% sure you're going to say yes on that. Uh, But why do you think it uh, came down the way that it did? Um, Well, I can tell you why, and I don't agree with it, but you're completely right. Um, What they're saying behind the scenes is that, remember Doug's career as a coach and the fact that he hooked up with Andy Reid. Obviously, Andy liked him as a player. Uh, And he brought him into the NFL as an assistant coach. And he never left Andy Reid until he got a head coaching job. 
So the Eagles sentiment is he didn't build relationships around the league by being on other staffs, whereas Nick Sirianni was in Kansas City, was in San Diego and Los Angeles with the Chargers, was in Indianapolis, and he got all these relationships. So he was a little bit better prepared uh, to go after assistant coaches. Now, I think that's completely counterintuitive. You're you're essentially blaming Doug Peterson for success. What do you want him to do? I imagine, I, I compare this with Justin Fields and the criticism I told you before, Jody, where people say he can't get to his second or third read. And he's always throwing his first read because he's open. That's what he's supposed to do. You're not supposed to go to your second or third read. Right. If you're having success as an assistant coach, what do you want him to be fired to go somewhere else to make you happy to build relationships? It's completely counterintuitive to me. Completely. Right. If you're if you're changing to get a promotion so that your responsibilities grow yes. and you yes. become a better candidate, that yes. I understand. Oh, I have to go to another team, even though things are going quite well for me on the present team that I'm on, just because I got to meet more people. Yeah. No, you're going to stay put where you are. So I and, agree with and, you all. That's in just some ways, in, in, in some ways, Jody, that's also what they held against Stu Staley all the, and said, and basically Jeffrey said he's got to go outside this organization. He's got to learn something somewhere else. I don't, I don't agree with that. If you like the guy, if you think he's a great coach, what does what does leaving you? Why does that make sense on any level? Not sure, and I'm not sure the Eagles are the best judge of that. Um, I heard Deuce Staley with uh, my buddies uh, Glenn Macnow and Ray Dinger on WIP a couple of weeks ago, and it was the most continuous talking that I think I had ever heard Deuce Staley do. You being a guy who's down there and in years previous uh, with the Jets actually talk to the coaches more than you have during this COVID uh, time in which we're living. Uh, maybe you've talked to him more, but he seemed like a guy who had a pretty good grasp on a, what it took to be a winning football coach, B what it took to uh, elevate uh, football players and the like a guy who would command attention and respect. Do you think the move to Detroit, even though it's not good for Eagle fans. If they wanted to see Deuce Staley stay, do you think the change to Detroit actually will help uh, him get in a better position to potentially get a head coaching job someday? My, yeah, I think no question. And I think Dan Campbell, uh, who is the head coach now in Detroit, has even gone on record out there and said, look, Deuce Staley is a real assistant head coach. He's my number two guy, and he's already said, my goal is to elevate him and, and make him a head coach or a better candidate to be a head coach in this league. So I do think that he has a better opportunity. That doesn't mean it's going to happen, but I do think he's got a better opportunity. As far as the Eagles, look, I, I've said, and I said on your WIP show, Jody, I've never seen a guy get more public support. Now, it's a different era on social media. It's easier for players to express that support uh, openly and publicly. I've never seen a guy get more support uh, in a head coaching search to be elevated than Deuce Staley. So he's a leader. People want to play for him. 
Uh, people want to follow them. Um, and I think, you know, leading and managing personalities is far more important when it comes to being a successful head coach in this league than schemes or play calling and X's and O's. It's a big job, Jody. It is a big job that encompasses far more than what happens on 60 minutes on Sundays. I, I understand that. It's the most important 60 minutes, but it's not the only 60 minutes. Was Doug good enough in all those aspects, in your opinion? Was that a great leader, great leader, great at managing personalities. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it was a and, coincidence. And I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but then what happened between he and Carson this year? If he was a great leader and great at managing personalities, was Carson's personality just so overwhelming and over the top? Did he get too much? Uh, leeway from the powers above Doug Peterson to be able to do things and call shots his way. What happened to the relationship between he and Carson? The benching. Um, look, I, I like both of those guys. So I, I got no dog in this fight. I, I think Carson was just hurt that, you know, his yeah, but coach... their, their relationship started going backwards well before he was benched. If you believe a lot of the reporting that, uh, Carson was checking off a higher percentage of plays that he ever had before that he would get to play in and roll his eyes and then call exactly what he wanted to <laughs> because he didn't agree with Doug's play calling. It did go backwards before that. The benching may have been the final straw that now he was throwing up his fingers and going, all right, I'm out of here. I don't need this. I'm better than this. How dare they treat me like that? I agree with you there, but the, it was a declining relationship even before they put Jalen Hurts into that Green Bay game. No, yeah. Well, number one, look, I think there's, you know, as Shield used the word context, I think there's context to everything. There's no question that um, Carson craved autonomy at the line of scrimmage. I never believed that he changed plays out of spite. Um, he thought uh, he could get out of good play, get out of bad plays into good plays, vice versa. Um, no question about it. <clears throat> you know, the Eagles, interestingly, <clears throat> when they were debating Jody, Jared Goff versus Carson Wentz, one of the things they said about Carson Wentz and why they liked him better was that he was able to handle things at the line of scrimmage. So when they took that away from him, at least a little bit, yeah, that was part of it as well. But ultimately, I believe the fracture was the benching and look you know i blame more of that on carson than doug but that's just my opinion that's what i asked for was your opinion i got your opinion in your philly voice article uh, that you put up yesterday about what 2021 is going to mean to jalen hurts if we're all assuming correctly that when the eagles traded down in a draft of 16 to 12 uh, they made it pretty darn apparent that they're not going to be using a first-round pick on a quarterback this year. They signed Joe Flacco to everyone except Joe Flacco. It's quite obvious he's going to play the backup role here. Joe says and thinks he's going to come in and compete, but you don't <laughs> believe that. I don't believe that. Uh, the The upcoming season is being handed to Jalen Hurts. But in your article, you made it seem pretty clear, and I agree with you, that this is a one-year trial that while they're committing to Jalen Hurts for 2021, 
That's all they're committing to Jalen Hurts for is 2021. It's not a uh, when they drafted Carson Wentz number two overall, you knew it was going to be years of Carson Wentz before they made a decision on whether they wanted to continue on for years on top of that or go in another direction. This is pretty much a one-year trial for Jalen Hurts. What does he have to do to extend it? Can he be that great that they say, all right, we've got our quarterback for the next five years. If he's good but not overwhelming, how tough a decision it's going to make. What what do you mean? Give us a little bit more perspective on what you think Jalen Hurts has to do to cement himself with his performance in 2021 for the future. Well, I think it's going to be really difficult for him, number one, because I think it's going to be, uh, you know, a tough road when it comes to skill position people. Um, I do think he'll have a better offensive line, so that'll be a nice foundation. But you got to be concerned about the injury situations, the age. Um, It's easy to say Lane Johnson's going to be healthy in a month. He was on our show last week. It's easy to say Brandon Brooks is going to come back, but we're talking about two Achilles tears in three years. Um, So those guys got to stay healthy, and that will give them, as I said, that nice foundation. He's got to make the playoffs. I believe that, Jody. And how do you make the playoffs with this team? I, I don't think it's about numbers. I don't think it's about yards. It's about touchdowns. It's about, you know, rushing. I think it's about elevating this team to a point where they overachieve from the expectations coming in. The good news for Jalen is those expectations are low. The bad news is those expectations are low for a reason. And second-year guy, four starts, is he going to be able to elevate that team to that type of level? Because – what I put in Philly boys, it's it's abundantly clear the Eagles are planning for a different quarterback in 2022. Now, he can change that plan because he's got the opportunity of being on the football field. And nobody's going to take him off if he is successful. But as we stand here today, Jody, this team is planning for a different quarterback in 2022, whether that's a top 10 draft pick or it's Deshaun Watson, or it's Russell Wilson, or even Aaron Rodgers, as we mentioned yesterday. They are planning for that. And that's, okay, so the next question has to be then, how does Jalen Hurts, if he believes what you just said, and oh, by the way, I think you could be very much right. I'm not 100% on it, but I'm leaning in your direction. that While Jalen Hurts will have the job, uh, better than 50 50 is going to have it the year thereafter. No, I would also say less than 50 50. If that's the case, we saw the previous quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles get knocked off his game by just having a backup quarterback drafted in the second round. <laughs> it so got into Carson Wentz's head, he couldn't perform this past year. And now they've had the divorce that they've had. Jalen Hurts knowing that, yeah, you're the starting quarterback of the Eagles. But don't look over your shoulder, buddy, because they're ready, willing, and able to go in another direction in yeah. 2022. How does he deal with it? How is he different than Carson Wentz in that way? Well, that's a good part, too, because he's got a different personality. He's already been through it at Alabama. And people bring that up all the time with Tua. 
However, I will also bring up, he also lost. So he was the one who was forced to leave and, and go to Oklahoma. So it, because he has a different personality, because he's not going to sulk, because he's going to fight and claw, doesn't mean he's going to be successful. It is a positive, though. He is going to fight and claw with this opportunity. And we'll see what he does with it. But I don't think he's a shrinking violet. I do think that about Carson Wentz now, unfortunately. Yeah, that's the way that it, it played itself out, and shame on him for that. Um, one of the reasons why I think Doug Peterson was ready to go where he did last year by putting Jalen Hurts into uh, the last four Eagle games. And, oh, by the way, for those on the stream here who didn't, didn't listen to me on WIP during the year, I thought Doug was a little slow to the uptick. I would have made the move sooner, even though I defended Carson Wentz for the first month of the season when his detractors were pointing out how bad he was. I kept saying, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. As the weeks kept adding on, I had to stop with the yeah, but to go, yeah, but you're right, and he's struggling pretty badly. I would have pulled the plug quicker than Doug Peterson did. That's another reason why Carson's handling of it does bother me because, yes, they eventually replaced him. They could have and should have replaced him earlier. Uh, Carson, way too thin-skinned for me for the whole thing. But he did so because Doug Peterson had the read in the room that the guys would follow Jalen Hurts. And I think you saw that in the games that he played. The results were still not good other than the New Orleans win. Overall, they lost at a uh, similar uh, speed that the Eagles did prior to him taking over as quarterback. But I think he was able to show the coaching staff that his teammates would follow his lead. Same exact thing coming into this year. I know it'll be some new guys. They made some changes. They're going to do so in the draft. Is he going to have as good or better a leadership role when he takes over with this team this year than his predecessor did? Um, I, I do think he's a better natural leader. I think people do gravitate toward him. Uh, I think they want to sort of follow him, and that's very important. I mean, it's a position that by its nature – demands leadership and I think he's that type of guy I think ultimately when we look at success or failure with Jalen Hurts it isn't going to be about being a leader um, I think that part is sort of ingrained in him um, so I have no concerns over that you know he does it on the field. He's not a real vocal guy. He leads by example. You see it all the time. He's always working with his personal quarterback tutor, Quincy Avery. He's trying to get guys together. Jalen Rager, you know, he's from Houston, trying to get the Texas guys, Greg Ward's from Texas, together to work out, um, to get better, to get that chemistry developing. He just does that stuff naturally. So that part of it, I have no questions on Jalen Hurts. My questions on Jalen Hurts are about the traits. Does he have the ability to be a top-tier top NFL quarterback? He was picked 53rd for a reason. That doesn't mean you can't succeed. Uh, Russell Wilson's a third-round pick. We talk all the time. Tom Brady, 199. But the odds become longer. The, as you get out of that top 10 – and you're going to see a ton of top 10 picks, 
at the quarterback position this year, if you don't have the ability to be in that top 10, it's just more difficult. You have to be realistic about that. Yeah, I know how uh, draft positioning can be indicative. It's not a catch-all. It's not a 100%, no. but it can be indicative. <clears throat> uh, I actually thought he was value in the second round where he was taken. I had him graded higher last year than a lot of people did. Uh, some said he was a reach. Some said he was lower. Some said some said he should have went lower. Some, right. You're right. Some were like you that said, hey, maybe this guy's got a chance to go 32 at the end of the first round or early in the second round. There's other people who said third round, fourth round pick. So there was a lot of, of disparity there. And with the way that he played, and it was a four-game look, not even a full four-game look, well, I guess basically a four-game look because he came in uh, midway to one game and left midway to another. Uh, I saw enough to say the guy deserves a chance. You know my feeling on the upcoming draft. There's one quarterback who, at least as per what is being speculated at this time, could have dropped down to number six. I I hope I'm wrong. I hope Justin Fields comes off the board number two to the uh, New York Jets. I don't think that's going to happen. If he gets down to number six and someone takes him at six or further, uh, the Dolphins aren't going to take him. I think they've shown that they're committed to it even more so than the uh, Eagles are to Jalen Hurts. But if he gets past where the Eagles would have drafted, Yes, that's one thing. Despite the fact that I'm good with Jalen Hurts, I'll be rooting for Jalen Hurts, and I think there's a good chance, better than 50-50 chance, that he is going to be able to retain the quarterback job into 2022. That one could be a little bit painful if uh, uh, Fields is available when the Eagles would have picked. And, yes, I will be here on Birds 365 almost on a daily basis pointing out that the Eagles could have gone in, in a different direction for quarterback. Yeah, well, I think anything that happens at number six overall, if it's Fields, if it's Jamar Chase, if it's Kyle Pitts, Eagles fans are going to be very upset. They're going to be very upset. So there's a number of options that if one of those players are available, Howie Roseman's going to be hearing about it. We're sneaking up on two weeks to the NFL draft, and you know we're going to be talking about it plenty here on Birds 365. That'll be just one of the topics we bring up with our next guest from Bleeding Green Nation. Brandon Lee Gatlin's going to hop aboard with Johnny Mac, Jody Mac, your Mac and Mac guys here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. The middle. The middle. So, bro, I know we're going to get on that, but I, I, I got to say happy birthdays to the, to the kids in the stream. You know what I'm saying? We, we looking. We checking it out. Happy birthday to your, your kids, man. You know what I'm to saying? To who? The kids, man. I'm watching the stream, man. What stream? It's double birthdays. You got to keep your eyes yeah, off that stream. Yeah, man. seriously. <laughs> no, you have a conversation with the stream, and nobody has any idea what you're talking about. You got to give us a heads up. Get you hip to it. Because they get you hip to it. No, because no, no, no. We I have no idea what you're talking bro. about. So now we're in the middle of something, and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Happy right. birthday. Happy birthday yeah. to who? 
I have no idea what was, I, what's going on right now. I, I can just imagine people listening on Sports Map Radio, just like, what did he just say? Who's play talking action to? real? Play action real. His son Nick. Happy birthday, bro! And All then, right. Now, now everybody's got a birthday. Joey B's daughter, I, sixteen I today. Yeah. I mean, calling BS. Today. Seriously, this is like AC Green selling that he right. was a virgin back with Showtime. The middle with Aton Shander, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Mays. Weekdays from eleven a.m. to one p.m. Eastern. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The future waits for no one, so we refuse to wait for it. We're not just pilots and engineers. We are pioneers. Today, battles are waged in nanoseconds, and planes are piloted from the other side of the world. We turn night into day and fly missions in space. The future's not coming. It's already here. This is the future. Join us and be the future. Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. Here on the Jacob Media Network. If you put your stuff via phillyvoice.com, we appreciate you hopping aboard. I'm, uh, I'm looking for uh, my buddy Brandon Lee Gouton, not seeing him yet. He should be joining us momentarily to give us his take on uh, the major article on the athletic that uh, was done by Shio Kapadia, who joined us in hour number one, and two of his compatriots from the athletic. It uh, did cause some consternation in Eagle Land, uh, Johnny Mac, and well, it should. Uh, the question now is not how accurate the reporting was, although we're seeing some people second guess that. I'm getting tweets, we're getting things here on the stream defending the Eagles. Most are acknowledging that the reporting is probably pretty on point and are worried about the Eagles. Um, they should be at this stage, should they not? This is not something that we can just easily forget and sweep under the carpet, can we? No, the reporting is on point. Um, I don't think there's any question about it. A lot of it, as I said, was already known. People talking about the meetings that um, Jeffrey Lurie had with Doug Peterson, you know, both sides have already admitted that those existed long before um, the athletic guys came out with the story. So uh, the fact that you get some of the um, dirty details of those meetings uh, are pretty important and uh, pretty serious. Uh, so I would take them seriously. And, you know, I think there's a perfect example when you're saying, because fans as a whole, Jody, you know, probably better than me doing this for as long as you've been doing it. There's this 
I, I don't know if I want to call it an old school mentality, whatever you want to say it about run the football. You think about, and there's a hesitation to change. And we've talked a lot about the modern era of football, how, get, how things have changed. And bottom line, you got to throw the football to win in this league. Jeffrey Lurie is right about that. Howie Roseman is right about that. But you Doug, you would hear every week Doug Peterson go, why isn't Miles Sanders running the football? So he hears that from the fan base, from the media, parts of it at least. And then he's got to hear the exact opposite from his bosses who don't defend him publicly because they just throw him out with no life raft and say, hey, Go explain this, Doug Peterson, because I don't want to explain it. That, to me, is the biggest part of this whole story, Jody, is the lack of transparency with this organization. Do you think, and a big part of the article on The Athletic yesterday was about how much the Eagles <laughs> use analytics in uh, determining the players that they acquire, what they expect out of the coach, even as down and dirty as uh, play calling and second-guessing it. And the like. If that's the case, and the Eagles seem to be, at least analytics say, a pass happy team, will that have an effect on the draft this upcoming year? That they will, they if that's the case, shouldn't they specifically be more aggressive in upgrading the passing game? Oh, they're always. I mean, they they've been very uh, on point in the fact that. And by the way, I think that's a positive. We're not talking a lot positive about this organization today, but I, I do think they're generally ahead of the curve and understand where the game is going, and it's a pass-happy game, and they've been trying to do that for years. One of the big problems with Jeffrey Lurie and the fact that he wanted Mike Rowe out of here, um, he really wants a high-powered offense more than anything else. And that's why I say with Jim Sports, it was always like, well, Jim will figure it out. They're worried about the offense. They're not worried about the defense. We'll see how the offense goes. Yes, you and I have been pretty harsh in our questioning of the Eagles today. Our next guest is going to come on. He's going to be Mr. Positivity. I'm guaranteeing <laughs> you that. Well, maybe not. We'll see what he's got uh, coming for us. If you don't read him at bleedinggreennation.com, you're missing out, Eagles fans. Brandon Lee Gowton from uh, Bleeding Green joins us here on Birds 365. BLG, how are you this morning? Jody, John, glad to be here. Jody, I'm usually talking to you at midnight, so it's nice to be talking to you during the day. Yeah, the sun is way too bright for you and I to be having a conversation, but somehow we'll get through it. All right, your take. We had Shilkabadi on in hour number one. Want to get another guy who uh, lives, sleeps, eats, breathes birds day in and day out. Uh, I know that you are uh, around the team all the time and certainly have a good grasp on what is going on with the Eagles. What that was revealed in the article yesterday said to you, wow, it's even worse than I had believed it was. I don't think that it is. I think this is basically why I've been feeling so like down and skeptical and really kind of just checked out in some ways on this team. It's just like it feels like caring about some of the smaller things right now in terms of you know who they're going to draft or or things like that. Like don't matter if the big picture items are in place. And when I think I guess the biggest takeaway, like the the macro level thing here, is when you have an owner who doesn't really trust the people he's hired in place, well, then that's pretty, and doesn't allow them to do what they're hired to do. Well, that's pretty concerning. <laughs> well, that, that to me, 
BLG, and I agree with you. The, the lack of transparency when I look at this organization, and by that I mean at the top, and, and Jeffrey Laurie and Harry Roseman, and I kind of say Nick Sirianni should get used to this because he's going to be thrown out there with no life raft to explain these types of decisions. The name Alec Hallaby, you know it, I know it. I don't think a lot of fans know it and how important he is to this organization. And that's the kind of transparency I'm talking about. Is that uh, sort of the crux of the problems with the way the Eagles do business? Yeah, I think the uh, lines of power are blurred. I think that's something I've talked about with Jody a lot. Um, Just like you have people in this organization, let's just say Carson Wentz, who – I think had more power than they really should. And it's not just him. Uh, the athletic ar- article also talked about how, you know, Howie Rosen plays favorites and, and Fletcher Cox has a lot of influence too. I remember uh, last year when the Eagles were potentially in the mix for trading for DeAndre Hopkins, you know, there was talk that, well, they can't really do that because then they're going to potentially have to redo Fletcher Cox's deal if they tear up DeAndre Hopkins deal. So I think there's like, uh, there's, there's a lot of um, like people pleasing. There's a lot of um, blurred lines again, when it comes to who's in charge and it it doesn't seem like there's a clear power structure always or or like there's different influences that get involved it doesn't seem like there's a process that remains consistent when you look at something like the jj arthaga whiteside draft pick and when you're hearing that like the owner is making that pick yeah so like it it just seems like the the process is kind of uh messy did after reading this piece and since the season has ended uh blg has your opinion changed on Doug Peterson? I was okay with, with him being fired. I thought he had a lousy year. I thought there was a chance to sweep clean an organization. They surely didn't do that, but they moved the coach out. After reading some details in this article and finding out what Doug Peterson had to deal with on a week-in, week-out basis, even after winning a Super Bowl, it made me think, you know, maybe Doug did get more of a raw deal than I thought. But it also made me think, well, maybe Doug wanted out more than we knew. Has your opinion changed on Doug Peterson no longer being the head coach of the Eagles since shortly after he was uh, given his walking papers? Uh, no change for me. I think we're seeing this is like this story reveals the light that like this is why Doug Peterson looks so like beaten down and tired. Uh, last year, like this, this is a guy who had to deal with a lot of BS, and I think you know, especially given the success that he had. So, and it, it honestly, it seems like a miracle that Doug Peterson made it as far as he did because they thought about replacing him. You know, the after his first season here, um, there was you know talk of that like, all right, if you don't do you know what I want in terms of the micro decision and everything, that Doug could be gone. So it, it's it's really a miracle he made it this far. And I think it shows you why Doug Peterson, you know, went to Jeffrey Lurie with those staff changes that weren't really inspiring to a lot of people. But he was basically saying, like, look, if I'm going to be back, we're doing it my way. And then if not, then I don't want to be back at all. And good for him because he stood up for himself and uh, he wasn't going to compromise. Yeah, Brandon, with those staff changes, as you mentioned, and I think that was the really the, the tipping point of Doug not coming back and whether it was elevating Press Taylor or Matt Burke to be the coordinators. You're right. It's not awe-inspiring, certainly from the fan base's perspective. But 
it, put on your Jeffrey Lurie hat for instead of the Sioski hating uh, Wawa hat. But um, <laughs> if 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 you went through this with Mike Rowe and Carson Walsh, Doug wanted to keep him. He was forced to fire him. Now fans didn't like those guys either. But you win the Super Bowl. Shouldn't you have the autonomy to at least the benefit of the doubt to say these are my guys? Look, if they fail, great. But I think we see with hindsight, Mike Rowe wasn't the problem with this offense. Uh, fans may not like him, but it didn't get better. Um, so how do you keep going back to the same well as Jeffrey Lorian saying, I know who should the assistant coaches be? Where, where does that come from? Yeah, that's the part of the problem, right? It's like it's not Jeffrey Lurie hiring Doug Peterson and then trusting Doug Peterson to build his own staff. Now, I think, you know, there are discussions that should be made. If it's truly collaborative, which it should be, but doesn't actually seem to be, then obviously, you know, Doug has to make a case. And if the owner is saying, like, well, look, he's not, you're really not providing me the evidence to keep him, then, you know, there's discussions to be made, maybe on a case by case basis with certain people. But it seems like the, the general guiding principle, you know, is like the owner just gets his way no matter what. And there was a Carson Wentz factor in there too. And I think when it came to Mike Grow, yeah, and that kind of goes yeah. to, goes back to what I was saying earlier in terms of like, there's a lot of people to please and different people are, are pushing for things and have different power. So it's all politics in that terms. And just like of, of who getting what they want, all these agendas. Um, but when it comes down to it, the bottom line is like, I don't think it's a great environment when the owner is meddling this much. BLG, we're just over two weeks away from the NFL draft. And I got a question or two for you on the draft, but before we go there, uh, after the coaching staff was filled out, we knew this offseason was not going to be an overly active one for the Eagles. Very little wiggle room and cap room to make major ads via free agency. They have picked up a couple of guys, some of which may be in the starting defensive lineup this upcoming year. Uh, understanding he was kind of handicapped and viewing it through that light. Howie Roseman done an okay okay job at reloading so far this offseason before we get to the very important upcoming draft? It's it's such like a interesting question to answer because you like how can you not include the context of like the Eagles twenty twenty one salary cap, like almost a quarter of it, assuming Zach Ertz does get traded, is gonna be in dead money. So and 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 the fact that they weren't able to spend more is because the cap has been poorly managed to an extent. Now obviously COVID didn't help them either, but still, I mean there's a lot of bad contracts on this roster. So if you're grading it on the curve of they've made all these mistakes and now this is only what they can do moving forward, yeah, I think it's been fine. Um, I don't think it's been amazing because, you know, you get Anthony Harris on a one-year deal. You get Eric Wilson on a one-year deal. Okay, there's flexibility there if they don't work out. But, I mean, there isn't the security that if they do, that you're going to have them. You know, these aren't necessarily guaranteed to be long-term pieces, and we're all not really expecting the Eagles to be seriously competing this year. So they can't only be thinking about this season. So I think he's done fine for making the most of what he's had. But the problem is he's only had so much to work with because of the you know, previous mistakes. Context is always important, Brandon. You bring it up. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think he's done a great job with the with the issues that are in place, but he put those issues yeah. in place. He those issues. Yeah. So it's difficult yeah. to say, hey, great job after you've done it. But I do think there's value in the Eric Wilson and Anthony Harris signings. But 
look, this season's about Jalen Hurts and and figuring out what you have in Jalen Hurts. I, I look at what the Eagles are, are doing, not what they're saying, because you had the ESPN report with Chris Mortensen saying Jeffrey Lloyd said build around Jalen Hurts. But you hear all these whispers and they're keeping an eye on Deshaun Watson and that situation in Houston. Russell Wilson, I always said it's been the white whale for this organization. And they have potentially three first-round picks to do whatever they need to do if, say, Sam Howell develops or the kid from USC or, or Spencer Rattler in Oklahoma, the next flavor of the month. Do you think there's a concrete belief in Jalen Hurts or, or it's like, eh, he, he's the stasis, he's the bridge, and let's get to 2022 and get our quarterback? I would say that it's not unanimous. I, I would say, you know, what's the one thing that story reveals, uh, w- one of the many things from the athletic is I, I think there often aren't unanimous opinions in that building. And it kind of depends, you know, who is able to put their thumb on the scale more. And ultimately, you know, when it comes down to the owner, that's what matters most uh, when he's wielding that power and, and not trusting people to do their job. So I think Jalen Hurts is absolutely going to get a shot here. I think. The good thing about the Eagles trading down from six to twelve is it gives them a, a phrase that Sam Hinkie, you know, used to use optionality in terms of I don't think they have a concrete plan at quarterback. I think it's kind of like wait and see. Uh, does Deshaun Watson become available somehow? I don't know about that, but that's an option. Like you said, Russell Wilson. Um, I think they have a lot of different avenues, and I think that's what that trade was about: is giving them different options in case Jalen Hurts doesn't work out. But I think there's a scenario where he does play well this year and they feel like he is their guy. And then instead of using those picks to trade for or draft a quarterback, then they use those picks to kind of build around him and give him some more pieces to work with. And oh, by the way, I know it's way in advance. I don't know that there's going to be a franchise quarterback in next year's draft, but that's getting uh, way down the line and putting the cart before the horse. I, this year's draft before we get to next year and the next draft quarterback the Eagles are going to take. Johnny Mack has a specific theory about the Eagles in the draft this year that when given a chance, top half of the first round, they like to stay inside trenches between the tackles, linebackers. They don't Not usually, linebackers, <laughs> right? They don't ever take linebackers, but they would be inside the tackle type guys. Um, as compared to either sprinted out tight ends, wide receivers, and or on the outside, those who have to cover those guys, quarterbacks and the like. Uh, the Eagles' history says they go trenches. They go inside. They don't go outside when they have high first-round picks. I think it's about 90-10 that they're going outside here with either a tight end, a wide receiver, and the tight end is going to be fits. So once he's off the board, that's not really a play. So it'll be a wide receiver and or a cornerback. Are they going inside or outside with their first-round pick in your guesstimation? It's really hard for me to shake the idea that they're not going to take a lineman when Howie Roseman, for seven out of his nine first-round picks, have been offensive or defensive linemen. And then, obviously, the two exceptions are a quarterback that he traded up for, Carson Wentz, and then Jalen Rager last year. Is he really going to go wide receiver back-to-back? Um, uh, I, I feel like that's how the board shakes out best, and I feel like that's what they should do, depending, you know, uh, if the three one of the three wide receivers is still there. Um, I think quarterback two also makes sense. I don't think the talent 
necessarily make sense. Again, it, it totally depends. Let's say a Sewell falls, a Slater falls, then okay, then maybe uh, that does make more sense. But I think if you know you're talking about like defensive line, which I think is possible. You look at maybe like a Quiddy Pay, and you think about how Brandon Graham isn't getting any younger, Josh Sweat not under contract for next season, Derek Barnett not under contract for next season, then. I totally see it in the realm of possibility. And it's almost just like, I'm not going to believe they're not going to take alignment until I see it. Yeah. Well, Brandon's smart, Jody. See, um, you know, hey, since you, 1999. You legal beat guys all stick together. Well, You've been around the organization too long. We've been through Evaluate it. the talent on the board it. and take we've the best players. You have to look at history. What's past is prologue. Those who uh, don't learn from history doomed to repeat it, Jody. Every time since 1999, 16 or above, offensive lineman, defensive lineman, or quarterback. Now, Brandon's right, but if you start thinking about why do you move down from 6 to 12? Because the talent isn't there. If you can't get quarterback, you're not taking Quiddy Pay at 6. You're not taking uh, – you're not getting Panay Sewell, although if he's there – I, I run to get the card in. So you fall back to where it's more desirable to take that offensive lineman. That's my theory, Brandon. Uh, but I would say I do go back to Andy Reid. And what Andy said, I think Joe Banner said in his first interview was, it was give me two uh, tackles, offensive tackles, two pass rushers, a quarterback, and two cornerbacks. So I do think there's an outside chance they could take one of the top three corners. That's it. Other than that, it's offensive defensive line. I really wonder how much the perception of this team right now in terms of, you know, all the negativity, because the Eagles know that they, they, I don't know how you couldn't. I mean, you look at basically anything the Eagles tweet from their official Twitter account and the first like 10 responses are going to be fire Howie. So (laughs) I can only... Imagine they know they're under you know pressure and coming yeah. off a bad season. Like not to say that this should govern it in terms of fan perception or it will, but I, I almost just wonder like, do they know they kind of can't get away with a line pick and like know they need something a little bit more of a splash? So maybe cornerback is that. And, and I, again, I don't think that's the the great justification for it, but maybe it's more possible to Jody's point uh, because of that factor where they kind of just need to get people back on board. All right, let me ask this question to both of you guys, Brandon goes first, because we are good to our guests here, right, Johnny? Um, if these two players, and I'm not even going to name the players, I'm going to name them in 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 sort, in kind, but I won't even give you the exact names. You can actually pick or choose the exact names. If the Eagles have a choice between the second cornerback to come off the board, and you can decide which cornerback comes off first, or the third wide receiver that comes off the board, and you can pick or choose. Well, you can't really take Jamar Chase. He's going to be gone. So Waddle or Smith or mm-hmm. whichever the two cornerbacks is left available, I certainly think uh, uh, the Virginia Tech kid is going to fall because of the injured Caleb is not going to be taken in the first uh, 11 picks. Which way do you think the Eagles will go? If their choice is third best wide receiver, second best quarterback, BLG, which way the Eagles going? One thing about cornerback that I've been thinking about, and 
we don't know exactly, you know, for sure, a hundred percent, you know, what scheme Jonathan Gannon is going to run here. We just don't have that level of familiarity and, and we haven't heard from him really. Um, but I almost wonder, you know, is cornerback a position that they're going to need to invest a primary resource in? When you just look at how Gannon has kind of gotten more out of less. I mean, TJ Carey, who's a free agent this offseason, like had a career year last year with the Colts. He's kind of been a journeyman. Uh, Xavier Rhodes, I thought, looked left for dead when the Vikings cut him. And he had a career resurgence. And Chris Ballard actually specifically cited Jonathan Gannon as a big reason why he was able to turn things around. So I almost wonder if they could do a little bit more or less, uh, more with less at corner. And to me, the guy I want and I think they should want is Devontae Smith at number 12. Will he make it there? I don't know. But this to me is like Justin Jefferson. Not to say they're going to have the same amount of success. Uh, but I just, and not that they're the same exact player, but when you're looking at a guy you can bet on to be a good pro, I just think everything about Devontae Smith, weight concerns uh, aside, which aren't a concern to me when you look at how he's been durable, how he's been able to produce an elite level college football, I think he should be the guy. And I think it's a decent bet that he could be the guy. That's interesting, Brandon. You know, you mentioned last year, obviously, Jalen Rager uh, at number 21 overall. You go back the year prior, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, and maybe Jeffrey Lurie put the thumb on the scale to take him. Uh, but also, you know, you kind of carpet bomb the wide receiver position uh, in 2020 as well with John Hightower and Quest Watkins. At what point do you say there's needs all over – you know, throw the dart at the dartboard, you're going to find a need here. At what point do you say, we got to develop the players we have and fill some of these other holes? Can you keep going wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver, acknowledging Devontae Smith is a step up from all those guys. But one of the, one of the valid criticisms of Doug Peterson's staff, in my opinion, was developing players. I, I, isn't this what the coaching staff, the new coaching staff is here for? Yeah, I think it's absolutely a big uh, selling point or a big sticking point to them is that like, hey, we need to take this talent we have and, and develop it. Now, I would say uh, it's kind of hard to, you know, know always what you can kind of get out of this. I don't think it's like the Eagles have drafted these perfect balls of clay and it's just like, well, the coaches couldn't mold them. I think there have been problems with the clay, so to speak here. Um, I think going to Smith though I think that's a guy who like you almost can't mess up and the development there not unlike Jefferson is just like this is a guy who you just feel so good about and the learning curve is going to be super steep he just you plug and play almost to an extent um, but obviously yeah I mean Nick Sirianni has a background with wide receivers and I think that did attract the Eagles I think that's something they like about him just like it is Cornerbacks for Gannon, because again, those two positions, wide receiver and corner, let's face it, like the Eagles have never really been able to draft and develop at those positions since Harry Rosen became GM. BLG, last one from me, and we'll put our favorite Philadelphia Eagles aside for a second. Five quarterbacks going to be drafted in the first round in the NFL draft a couple of weeks from now. How high is high? How many picks is it going to take before the fifth and final? I don't believe Kellen Mond is getting into the first round. Some people are projecting that that is a possibility. I don't think so. I think it's five and only five. But how five of those five, how high are they going to come off the board? 
I'm going to say, I mean, I think five in the top 10. I think we're going to see four in the first four. I think Atlanta will trade down. And then maybe it's the Cowboys pick there at 10. Um, maybe Denver takes one even at nine. So I think you're looking at nine or 10 for the first five quarterbacks. Uh, last one for me, Brandon, as well, since we went quarterbacks. And by the way, that'll help the Eagles in theory. If those five yep. guys go, mm-hmm. that'll help the Eagles at 12 overall. But the Eagles have Jalen Hurts, Joe Blacko as a backup. They still need to add another quarterback. They're going to draft one at some point. Where is that going to be? Is it could it be day two? Or is it going to be day three? Are we getting another Clayton <laughs> Thorson? Or are we getting a Kyle Trask or Davis Mills? Somebody with some potential. Man, what if they just took one in the second again? What a, what a time. What, Get, what a time that uh, would trade be. Trade down to 53 overall. That would be great. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm going to say day three. I think uh, it shouldn't come as a shock in that, you know, Lurie has talked about get, wanting to get back to drafting a quarterback every year, kind of like I don't think they always did under Andy Reid, but in theory, that's something they talked about. Yeah. And uh, I, I definitely think, you know, not being sold on Hurts that, and, and also having what, 11 picks in this year's draft. Yeah. And that's right now. They, they could trade around, maybe get even more. I think at that point, you just have the extra ammo. Why not take one uh, if the value is right, especially? I think it'll be day three, day three guy. His website, Bleeding Green Nation, is a must-stop for Eagle fans on a daily basis. We're glad he stopped in with us here on Birds 365 today. BLG, you know I'm be in touch. Thanks for hopping on with us. Thanks, guys. Brandon Lee Gouton here with us on Birds 365. McDonald McMullen with you. We'll come back. We'll give a last couple of thoughts. Another day off the calendar. We're clicking toward the upcoming NFL draft. We'll come back, put a bow on the show with you here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The the, the middle. middle. (laughs) We need a little maze. Wait, wait, what was the commercial? Harry goes, I don't need a little anything. You'd have Lil Harry or Lil Maze. Lil Maze. And and you pull a (laughs) string and it says, I am out. Or like four or five different maze sayings. Now that's an idea. (laughs) Did you see a Shander doll? It never stops talking. No, you don't even need to pull the string. The Middle with Aton Shander, Barrett Brooks, and Harry Maze. Weekdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. 
I see myself. The future is where I'll make history. Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. Thanks for streaming in on Bird State 365. Mackamac guys, John McMullen, Jody McDonald hanging with you. Johnny Mac, I just said we clicked another day off the calendar, closing in on the NFL draft, which we're all very much looking forward to. Let me add to that that we clicked another day off the calendar where Zach Ertz is still a Philadelphia Eagle. Yeah, yeah. I, I know that I'm swimming upstream here. And that most people believe it is a foregone conclusion. It is only a matter of time before Zach Ertz becomes an ex-Philadelphia Eagle. But I put this to Lane Johnson when he was on with us last week. And he did say, hey, I'll be one happy guy. And yeah, if I need to, I would talk to Zach Ertz about a potential return. I know all the pitfalls. I know all the hurdles that would have to be gotten over. But he is still a Philadelphia Eagle. I know the Eagles would prefer to see if they could get a deal done for Zach Ertz. For whatever that return is, perhaps the Eagles have the sights set a little bit too high. I believe they did with Carson Wentz and then rightfully realized, yeah, multiple ones. That's not happening. Uh, They got one potential one rather than multiple ones for Carson Wentz. But they did. They moved off it to make sure that they got it done. They may have to readjust their evaluation of what they should get in exchange for uh, Zach Ertz. But they haven't gotten that done yet. They haven't pulled the trigger yet. I don't think it's going to happen between now and the draft. I thought one of the things that played to the Eagles' favor is, at least my evaluation, the scouting reports I've been reading, the mock drafts I've been checking out, it's Kyle Pitts at tight end, and then there's a drop-off. So if there's a team out there that's – thinking, well, we can get our starting tight end in the draft this year. Unless you take Kyle Pitts, that's not happening, at least not in my book. So Zach Kurtz is a guy who's certainly capable of coming in and starting for a team next year. So it should open up avenues for the Eagles. If they can't get it done before the draft, it becomes doable after the draft because the team acquiring is going to be able to say, hey, at least we didn't give up a pick for this year. We don't have to give up a pick for 360-some-odd days before we uh, have to pay the price on getting Zach Ertz. Mm. So, yes, it could happen after the draft is over and done with. Or it can go all the way till June 1st when the cap hit would become a little bit less with a potential release of Zach Ertz. Am I just set myself up for a fall here? That's uh, I'm leaning along the lines of. Well, I I don't think Zach wants to be back. Um, in fact, I know he doesn't want to be back. So I think that's you know if you look at it from the Eagles standpoint, you have to leave the door open only because he's under contract. Remember, this is a uh, sort of bridge year, as we mentioned with Jalen Hurts. So uh, this team as a whole, forget about just the quarterback position as a whole, is sort of you know, gearing up for 2022 when they'll have all all the money uh, in the pandemic in theory will be over. There won't be that 
uh, revenue hit. They'll have uh, they'll be flush with cap space and draft capital, and be able to do whatever they want to do in free agency. Um, so, I mean, in theory, you could say, okay, let's have him play one more year. He goes a free agent. He can do whatever he wants to do. Uh, ultimately, I think he's going to be traded during the draft. I think he's going to be packaged uh, with a pick to either sort of move up and get a player. Maybe they've targeted late, you know, third round, going up in the fourth round, something like that. Uh, Zach's upset at the organization. One of the things buried in the athletic story that we never got to was that there are a number of people upset with the organization. I think he's been the one that's been, you know, pretty honest about thinking that he was not uh, as respected as maybe he thought he should be. And Brandon just spoke, Brandon Lee Gowton just spoke about certain players having that power, whether it was Carson Wentz or Fletcher Cox. Why not Zach Ertz? That's probably what Zach Ertz is thinking. And after one he went through, we talked about in that Seattle playoff game, I don't necessarily disagree with him, but bottom line, Jody, I don't think the, the the relationship is repairable. And that's ultimately why I think Zach is not going to be here. And that's probably what's, that's about 95% what's going to happen. I'm clinging to that 5% that at some point, both parties go, we might not be happy with it. We're going to get divorced. It's inevitable, but it's best yeah. for us both well, to stay together for short-term, short-term short term being one more year. And to use that metaphor, Jody, could be like the kids are ready to go to college. The kid is ready. You're holding on for one more year, and then you go your separate rate, ways. That You you said 5% chance. I'd go as high as 10% chance. Okay, because, good. Because he is under contract. So, you know, you need a backup tight end. He would be the starting tight end. But you need two tight ends. They haven't re-signed Richard Rodgers. They haven't brought in somebody else. They have a lot of developmental kids that nobody's heard of, like Tyree Jackson. But you need another tight end. So I put it at 10%. And it's never a bad thing to have a guy on a contract here. If he thinks he can still yeah. play, if he's motivated to still play, he knows he's got to come in. And produce because that's what's going to get him the guaranteed money in his next contract. It might not be the worst thing in the world if Zach Ertz comes back. I don't think he'll be happy about it, but I think they could uh, actually make it work. And to your point about something that we didn't touch on much about the article, I had Joe Santa Liquido on my WIP show last night. And <laughs> Joe told me both on and off the air. Uh, doing a lot of work, upcoming draft, talked to a lot of guys around the league, not just here in Philadelphia. The team in general is being given some pretty good grief in NFL circles. And those who are tied to players who are outside Philadelphia, who know the players inside Philadelphia, nobody's dying to come to Philadelphia. Those that are already here are looking for potential escape hatches. Maybe not as uh, much as Carson Wentz, maybe not even as much as Zach Ertz, but there are guys that aren't happy about the dysfunction that is within the organization. Joe Slanta Liquido told me that's the case. That's the sense he's getting from people around the league. So this is not just because three guys from The Athletic wrote this article. 
that now, there is some questioning now. concern about the Eagles throughout the entire NFL. Yeah, I mean, and that's cyclical, and that comes down to winning and losing. Look, it's it's bad right now. It's bad from the perspective that they're coming off a four-win season. They had to trade their former franchise quarterback. They had to fire, uh, and when I say had, from their perspective, the organization's perspective, firing the Super Bowl-winning head coach. Well, yeah, if you're outside those walls, you ask the same questions we're asking. What the heck is going on there? What the heck went wrong? And this is not a, a very desirous uh, uh, end game for many players in this league right now. The good news about that, Jody, is that changes quickly. And that changes very quickly. There's so much turnover in this league. At one point, this was a, a, a destination for, for players around this league. They can get back there pretty quickly. I wouldn't be concerned about that part of it. And one thing that is good, change can be good. Sometimes change is bad, but before you know how change is going to play out, you certainly are optimistic and leave your mind open to change being good. We don't know what Nick Sirianni is going to do in year one. We don't know well, what this new coaching staff could is going to Could be Bill Walsh. Could be Bill Walsh. It could be. Or it could be a laughing stock. It could go either way. We don't know. We're only going to find out. Probably over the somewhere next in months. between. Probably yeah, you really between. think so? Yeah. Good hedge on your part, McMullen. Uh, <laughs> very smart. Uh, yes, we are the Mac and Mac guys. And oh, by the way, tomorrow we're on Birds 365. How about Mac and Mac, Mac and, and Mac? Mac? Tim McManus of ESPN is going to hop aboard with us and give us some Eagles insight. So it's a Mac and Mac and Mac affair. Tomorrow here on Birds 365. That'll about do it for us. We thank uh, Chio Capati and Brandon Lee Gowton for hopping on with us today. Thanks to all you guys on the stream. Staying right up with Birds 365. We appreciate it. Uh, we'll be right back here again tomorrow. Whether you punch us up on the Jacob Media YouTube channel or link in on the phillyvoice.com. We appreciate your being here with us today. Be with us tomorrow right here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify.